0: Hey, hey, beer fans! Welcome to Experimental Brewing with Denny and Drew. I'm Denny Kahn.
1: And I'm Drew Beecham. And together we're the authors of Experimental Brewing, Mad Science in the Pursuit of Great Beer, and Simple Home Brewing, available at all your finest retailers. So, now between the two of us, we have over 50 years of homebrewing experience, I'm the guy known for weird beer and strange ideas, and... I'm the guy known for questioning the conventional wisdom
0: and checking it out.
1: So on today's episode, it's going to be another quick episode this week as we go into the beer news, talk a little bit about what we're brewing, what we're trying to do, and then give you a quick tip, give you something other than beer, and get you on your way. But before any of that
0: stuff happens, please listen to these messages from the people who make the show possible. This episode of the Experimental Brewing Podcast is brought to you by you, our listeners. Go to ExperimentalBrew.com to help support us. Click on the Patreon link to donate whatever amount you like to the podcast and our charities. Click on the Brew Your Own Magazine link to subscribe to BYO. Or click on the AHA link to join the American Homebrewers Association. Part of the proceeds from those will go to help support the podcast. And thanks for your support. The ultimate all-in-one electric homebrewing system is here. The new Grainfather G40 can produce up to 11 gallons of beer and features all the latest advancements in homebrewing technology, including wireless control so you can monitor your brew day from the Grainfather app. With an innovative new grain basket design that improves wort flow, reaching mash efficiencies of 75% or more is easy. The 3,300-watt heating element brings your wort to a boil quickly without any scorching, and the large hop plate filter guarantees that no unwanted grain matter or hop tube reaches your fermenter. Every G40 comes standard with a high-powered built-in pump that can handle temperatures over 200 degrees Fahrenheit and a full three-year warranty that guarantees that you will be able to keep on brewing no matter what. The new Grandfather G40 is available now at your favorite homebrew retailer or online at grandfather.com. Welcome back, everybody. And we're kicking off with some announcements.
1: Yeah. And the first announcement is, of course, uh, if you haven't been paying attention to your feed, we released a new old episode of the Brew Files last week uh, called, uh, well, it was all about the bad apple, aka how to make cider, because we are in cider time. And if you can't tell from my voice, I'm just now finally recovering from my cold. So <laughs> enjoy the replay. We'll be back to a new Brew Files in just a minute. And also, if you checked your feed, you may have noticed there was a bonus episode of the show that came out, because Denny and I answered people's questions.
0: Well, you can call it a bonus episode, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's Experimental Brewing, except that it's Experimental Brewing via BYO. Uh, they do uh, online Q&A sessions every once in a while, asked us to do one, and we have the audio from it posted for you. Yeah,
1: and I think they actually do it monthly, and every month it's, you know, different people with different skill sets, and so... Go and uh, if you're a subscriber to BYO, and I think you, I I forget if it's all subscribers to BYO or if it's just digital subscribers, because I think if you do the print magazine, you also get a digital subscription. But anyway, if you have the digital rights, then you can go into into their Q and A's, ask questions, and go and listen back to old replays. But uh we're doing you the courtesy of bringing you the audio, so go enjoy it, please.
0: Yeah, right. Uh, you can hear us in a, a somewhat looser form and after
1: we've been drinking. So, okay. How much bleeping did you have to do on that one?
0: Uh, I think enough. More than usual, and I hope I didn't miss any.
1: Yeah. If we missed any, any curse words, let us know.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> All right.
1: And as we're speaking to your ear holes, the WIBs Summit, the Women's International Beer Summit, is currently going online right now. You can go to wcfa.beer slash wibs23. That's W I B S 23 to go join the party. They will have replays and all that sort of fun stuff. A lot of interesting topics as we talked about the other day or the other episode covering a lot of different aspects of the beer world. So go check that out.
0: Yeah, uh, especially if you're interested in the commercial beer world. There's a lot of fun stuff there, but uh, they, they have just a whole ton of different topics they're covering.
1: Don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts. You can click the AHA or BYO links on the website. And by going to Patreon and punching a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is the National Disaster Search
0: Dog Foundation. These uh, wonderful people take shelter dogs, rescue dogs, and retrain them to be search dogs for disasters. Uh, God knows we have plenty of disasters these days, unfortunately.
1: Just look at my life.
0: Uh, (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, Just... It's a great organization. Uh, they they work with dogs. They work with helping people. Toss us a few bucks via Patreon. Go to our website, experimentalbrew.com. Click the Patreon link, and we will pass your dollars on to them, and you can help out, too. Uh, it makes you feel good.
1: Help people help dogs to help people.
0: Yeah, that's right, man. That's That's the circle. Ah,
1: all right, let's go have a beer.
0: Alrighty, we're going to head to the pub. We'll meet you there in a minute. When I'm done brewing, I want to be done brewing, not waiting around for my wort to cool. With the Hydra, the Corny Pillar, and the other great chillers from Jaded, I can be done when I'm done. No more waiting 20 minutes for the wort to cool enough to add whirlpool hops. No more messing with cleaning and sanitizing counterflow or plate chillers. With the super-fast immersion chillers from Jaded, you can chill your word in minutes without all the hassle. Jaded chillers aren't just works of art. They're the fastest, most effective chillers you can buy. Check them out at jadedbrewing.com. With Yakima Chief Hops, it's more than a pack of hops. It's supporting family farms. Yakima Chief Hops is a 100% grower-owned hop supplier whose mission is to connect hop growers and brewers. Yakima Chief Hops is proud to have an established Return to Grower program which redistributes an average of 75% of their business earnings back to the family farms who grow the hops in your beer. Where you buy your ingredients matters, and with Yakima Chief Hops, it's more than a pack of hops. Learn more at yakimachief.com slash return dash growers. Sitting in the experimental brewing pub at the corner of everywhere and nowhere, somewhere in cyberspace. We're having a couple beers, and uh, Drew's getting into the season.
1: Yeah, you know, it finally got a little chilly here. It dipped all the way down into the 70s here in Southern California. So it put me me in a mood to, you know, go grab some Uggs, put on my hoodie, and go have a winter beer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, you know, we often talk about, like, how. We feel like in the modern beer world, there's a lot of like sort of lost classics, right? And the beer world used to be filled with things that you'd look forward to from a seasonal point of view. And I can't think of a better one to exemplify that than Deschutes Jubilee. Now, it doesn't regularly come down... I mean, like, Deschutes is a presence here in Southern California, but they're not huge, and, you know, so it's not the big celebration it is. But I always look forward to this beer every year because it is... I mean, it's wonderful. It's <laughs> what, it's usually like 6.5, 6.7, six, six somewhere in that range. Yeah, yeah. The anniversary editions can be a little bit bigger, which can be good sometimes. Uh, I remember, you remember Jubal 2000? Yeah, that was huge. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. So Jubal Ale, I mean, how, how would you describe Jubal Ale? Because the way I keep thinking about it is just that it's a strong winter warmer, right? It's not a brown ale. It's not a barley wine. It's not... It would be, I would call it a cross between an,
0: an amber ale and a, maybe a pale ale. Uh, hop to the upper 60s and IBUs. Uh, definitely is a, you know, medium dark brown beer. Uh, not opaque or anything like that. Uh, definitely has the feel of crystal Munich malts to it, that kind of thing. Uh, Personally, I kind of like this year's iteration better than what I remember of last year. You know, when you're trying to make that comparison, it's always difficult. But uh, this year's, the body seems just a touch lighter, making it more drinkable. And I think maybe they've uh, jacked the IBUs up a bit, which makes it a better balance and doesn't leave you feeling like you have <laughs> bloated yourself drinking something too sweet.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's... it's- I think it's fair to say it's an American take on a winter warmer right with all that hoppiness
0: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I I guess that that's true it, it I, I don't know what else you could call it because it comes out during the winter yeah so, uh, you know
1: but uh, you know, you know what you can call it what's that delicious yeah exactly delicious <laughs> so <clears throat> so jubilee I think is one of those classic thats still classics that still exist and still is something that I look forward to every year, kind of like bigfoot and celebration and you know, beers like that. Um, so, to me, Jubilee is always something I always look forward to. And like I said, the the weather dipped down here in Southern California for just a moment before Mother Nature decided, oh, yeah, that's right, you're still in October, so you still get to be hot. Uh, and so I, I thought I'd take a moment and enjoy myself a Jubilee, And that's going to inspire something that I'm going to talk about later in the show.
0: Ooh, mm, foreshadowing, are we?
1: Yeah, you know, a little narrative structure to the flow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: I hope you appreciate uh, how hard Drew works for all you guys. <laughs>
1: hard? Yeah, mostly. All right. <laughs> Dincenzo, I went Jubal Ale. You're going also non-IPA.
0: Yeah, you know, after all those times when we're both having IPAs, I'm kind of getting into the season, too. I am having a beer from Cold Fire, once again, a local brewery. It's called Little Brown Owl Brown Ale. And it's very, very much your classic brown ale. It's 5.1%. Um, for my taste, it's just a touch on the sweet side, but I think for anybody not to addicted to hops, it would be absolutely perfect. It very much reminds me of a a classic brown ale. Uh, Just a delicious beer. One that they don't make often, but uh, I was lucky to run across some at just the right time of year when we're going into the winter here. It's getting cold. It's getting rainy. It's a great afternoon beer, and I will probably drink another one this afternoon when I watch the Ducks football game.
1: (laughs) I think I'm gonna have a cascale later this afternoon after I go drive somewhere. Uh, that'll be nice. <laughs> yeah. Um Well and it is it is funny, like I and mean, we've always talked, or at least like when you and I first came up in Humbering, you know, people always talked about the seasonality of beer and how like as it gets colder you like things are maltier and bigger and of course I always think that was a justification for people to have a time when a time of year when they could have heavier and boozier beers.
0: <laughs> Doppelbach, icebach, that kind of stuff. Yeah.
1: Huh? But there is there is something about the idea, of like, a little crisp fall temperatures and suddenly, like, a little nice malt hug is not a bad thing. Yeah. Well, and after all, as you said, I mean, what, you said the Little Brown is only 5.1?
0: Yeah, that's 5.1. But, you know, on the other hand, I'm also drinking Old Rasputin, which is 9-something.
1: <laughs> Nothing wrong with that sometimes. So yeah, that's right. All right, let's dig into the into the news and slash remembrances. So we're going to start with a little bit of beer history because as we are recording this, it is what forty five years. Yes, forty five
0: years today, October fourteenth, that uh, Jimmy Carter signed the bill that legalized home brewing.
1: Yeah, and as we mentioned in the last episode, uh, this was not Jimmy Carter intentionally legalizing home brewing. It was part of a giant omnibus bill. But right. But, yeah, so 45 years that homebrewing's been legal, somehow my homebrew club is celebrating its 50th anniversary. I don't know. Hmm. Um, Now, the thing I did think was funny is that uh, it's only been since 2013, so a decade ago, that homebrewing has actually been legal in all 50 states when Mississippi and Alabama finally got their act together and (laughs) legalized homebrewing at the the state level. Um, Now, I remember when that happened, but... Denny, you were in an adult phase when homebrewing was legalized. I mean, yes, at the time, you were, at the time you weren't a homebrewer. So no, I wasn't. Did did this have any sort of appearance on your radar at the time, or was this just none? Uh, I
0: I think I heard about it, but you know, it didn't really mean a lot to me because I wasn't a homebrewer. It would be another twenty years or so before I started homebrewing.
1: But. I- and I always think it's funny because if you go back and you look at that period of time of homebrewing, um, it, it felt like homebrewing was a lot of... a lot of ex-military types. A lot of people who were sort of wanting to to revive old skills, kind of homesteading slash Mother Earth catalog type people. Uh, a little bit of hippy-dippy type, uh, type stuff in there. It was a very weird melange. Uh, and so... It's just interesting to see where it's come in that period. But Because um, if I go back and I look at like the old Falcon stuff uh, from like 1977, 1978 in that period, you can very, very clearly see like there was a whole bunch of dudes who got into homebrewing because I was stationed in Germany in the U.S. Army and I fell in love with German beer. That was uh, Marilyn Merlin, uh, Merlin Leitkart, our, our founder. Uh, and then but at the same time you go and you look and you had other dudes who were like, Full-on, you know, California, UCLA uh, hippie kids uh, who were homebrewing as well. So, very interesting mix and a very different sort of vibe from 45 years ago when it was legalized. Yeah, you know,
0: and I'll take your word for it because I don't think I knew anybody who homebrewed back then.
1: Well, I mean, look, if you if you want no other perfect lesson, go look at the the film and video of uh, Charlie back in the day. You know? <laughs> I mean... When I see that, all I can look at is those 70s clothes. Yeah, but I mean, it's just funny. Like here, Here's a nuclear engineer who looks pretty much the part of a hippie you know, going, <laughs> uh, going and, and teaching people about homebrewing. So, uh, again, 45 years that this hobby has been legalized at the federal level, a decade since it's been legalized everywhere in the U.S. So go forth. Enjoy your legal rights to homebrew some beer, damn it. <laughs> That's right. Just go do it. Yep. So speaking of that 50th anniversary party that I was just talking about, and um, I've, I've described in the past that we're doing a bunch of different collaborations. We're bringing, you know, we're trying to create special beers for the 50th anniversary, right? Because after all, the club only turns 50 once, and how the hell a homebrew club survived for 50 years, I have no clue. Yeah, uh, right. Th- this is not a hobby that lends itself to uh, grand efforts of organization. Um, but one of those beers, and I described us brewing it in the past, that we did was with Firestone Walker. And for the 40th anniversary, so a decade ago, so we went up to Paso Robo's and we brewed this big mess of a beer uh, that we called a brownie wine. It was supposed to be a brown barley wine. So imperial brown ale, in a way, that was then barrel-aged. And that got released as like this, and it became sort of this cult thing, like people, people try and track this down. Uh, and the club obviously had it. Well, we went back to the Firestone Walker, and we said, hey, would you guys be interested in doing the brownie wine again? Because they had such a cult following the first time that you did it. And they said yes, and so we went and we actually brewed it. But instead of brewing it in Paso, where you know the Paso Robo system is gargantuan, I mean, it's, I want to say it's like 200 barrels, I and mean, they're a properly sized industrial brewery. So instead of brewing up in Paso Robo's, We actually brewed, with an L.A. connection, we brewed at their sort of research uh, plant, which is sort of a brew pub here in uh, Venice, California, uh, called the Firestone Walker Propagator. And that was, I think, a 20-barrel batch, so a tiny batch for them. And we trying to figure out what was going to happen. The club's obviously going to get some beer from it. But now it turns out we know what Firestone Walker is doing with it, because four years ago, or 2020 during the height of COVID, Firestone Walker started a thing called... The brewmasters collective and it is oddly today it feels like a throwback to you know beer clubs of old like when people would really kind of get hyped up and line up for things like the the brewery society and you know all, all these sorts of things where it's like oh you know, look you're going to get special beers and reserved club membership and all that I'm not seeing a lot of clubs a lot of breweries doing that anymore um but firestone walker started it during oddly enough covid times and so they're coming into their fourth year here, and this Brewmasters Collective—it's this quarterly shipment program or quarterly pickup program where you get from them five different beers every time, and it's not cheap—you know, it's like four hundred dollars plus shipping um, if you're not picking up at one of the breweries. But every month or every quarter, it's a, a sort of a big collection of these big bold. Barrel-aged beers, most of them being like 10 to 14% alcohol. So, yeah, small beers. And then um, maybe and like an occasional set where actually every, every month has a sour in it, and those are usually lower alcohol, but they're still barrel-aged. And so this year in the four collections that they're doing across this collective year, one of them is a flight that includes our collaboration with the Maltos Falcons. So it has the Maltos Falcons brownie wine which they're currently saying is coming at 13.6%. Whoa. Oh, yeah. Well, I think it was a big beer to start with, and then it's aged in uh, rum and bourbon barrels. And so that picks you up some uh, alcohol there. And so at the same time they're doing that, they're having a collaboration done with Revolution out of Chicago, which is going to be a barley wine aged in their union barrels, rye barrels, and wine barrels. Uh, they're, they're doing their pot, uh, I love some of these names. Parabola. I think that's how you say that. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. I was trying to figure out what the heck. Well, so that's that's the Parabola Imperial Stout, which they use for a lot of, a lot of their blends and whatnot. Uh, parabola Imperial Stout, but aged in high rye cast. So rye whiskey-infused uh, Parabola Stout. A uh, Frau Goober collab, which is going to be a barrel-aged Imperial Stout. And then finally, a sour ale with tropical fruits. That's the lowest one. That comes in at 6%. You know, <laughs> the rest of them, it's like that Frau Gruber's the lowest next at 12. So 6% to 12. It's kind of a step. So, uh, yeah. Uh, what's that thing in uh, oh, the, the the truck driver's gear change in, in music? You shift up to a higher key to close out the phone?
0: <laughs> truck, tri- I've never heard it called that before. <laughs>
1: Um, but yeah, if you want to get your hands on this, you have to go to to you have to go and sign up. And it's com slash brewmasters dash collective. And it is going to be interesting because it's like the beers, merchandise that you get for free. You get like a discount of Firestone Walker and all that sort of fun stuff. But it's pricey. But these are also some very unique beers. The only way you're going to be able to get your hands on that brownie wine, other than being a member of the Maltos Falcons or maybe uh, being really, really nice to me is to be a member of this uh, collective. So I just thought that was interesting and fun, and I'm glad to see that that beer is going out there in the world somehow.
0: Yeah, no kidding, man. It's some special stuff.
1: Yes, it is. All right. So now from these big, big beers, I thought the other story that was interesting was uh, Bart Watson, who what exactly is his title? Chief Economist or Economist Economist for for the Brewers (laughs) Association?
0: economist. Yeah. Something like that, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um basically he's the one who tries to, you know, break down the market trends and business stuff for uh, the members of the BA. And it echoes something that you you just reported on from Hoffman School, where he right. he was talking about that craft beer sales right now are down by 2% year over year. Which I mean, that's not a huge shift. But, given the size of most people's breweries, 2% can make a big dang difference uh, in your bottom line. Right. But what I thought was really interesting was a quote from him in in this talk that he gave. He said, the number one reason why people say they're drinking less craft beer isn't because they're watching their waistline or watching their wallet. It's because they're drinking more of some other type of beverage alcohol. A.K.A. they're drinking wine, they're drinking spirits, they're drinking seltzer, they're drinking... Something that is not craft beer. Now, right. didn't you, say, you you you'd said uh, before we were talking that this lined up with what you heard at Hopper Brew right?
0: Yeah, uh, Lester Jones from the National uh, Beer and Wine uh, Association spoke there. One of the big takeaways from his talk is that total ethanol units are not down, right? The amount of alcohol that people are consuming has not decreased. But the distribution of it has. And many, many people now are drinking spirits and wine rather than beer. Um, you know, there's, there are a lot of reasons for that. You know, when this comes up on Facebook, you see people say, oh, it's because there's so many crappy beers out there. and I mean, all kinds of reasons. But I don't know if you can... If you can nail it down to one, you know I've heard uh, I've heard people say you know beer is an old man's drink and young kids are getting into other stuff. Uh, you know we saw the seltzer craze come and now pretty much go. You know of course there's still seltzer out there, but not everybody is crazy for it like they were. Uh, craft distilling has really really come on strong and there are a number of people now who are drinking craft spirits instead of craft beer so there's there's a lot of things you can chalk it up to but the bottom line is that people aren't drinking as much beer and that's why you're seeing breweries closing you're seeing homebrew stores closing You're seeing a decline in membership in the American Homebrewers Association. Uh, You're seeing fewer new homebrewers coming into the market. Uh, You know, from our point of view, it's a shame, but I suspect it will be cyclical.
1: Yeah, I mean, because you and I were both around back during the great bubble bust of 96. Yeah, that's right, man. uh, we, We saw where we came from there. Everybody thought the, the, the sky was falling, but here we are. So, yeah, it's it's going to be a thing. And I'm seeing more, not only the brewery closures, but I am also seeing more the pizza shop effect, as I keep referring to it. Uh, right. We just got uh, a bit of news down here in L.A. that uh, Beachwood Brewing Company is closing their original brew pub in Long Beach, uh, which is where all that business kind of started from. And they're closing it. And instead of it going away completely, uh, one of their former brewers, who went and brewed for Rip Brewing for a good long while, is coming back and opening it as a brand new brew pub uh, called ISM Brewing, ISM Brewing. And so I'll be looking forward to when that that happens, because, again, pizza shop effect.
0: Yeah, it is, man. Uh, But... You know, like we, I hate to say it, but it, it, it is what it is. Uh, people are drinking less beer. That's just the way it works. And uh, you know, you can you can whine about it all you want, or you can just accept it and move on.
1: Yep, I agree. So, uh, last little bit. We didn't cover the JBF last time, but I, I saw some interesting breakdowns because obviously the JBF happened, and life was good for a lot of beer people. But what I thought was interesting was taking a look at the top five categories, Uh, and the reason why I thought it was interesting was just to see the categories weren't all what I thought they were going to be. So (laughs) uh, unsurprisingly, the top entered category was an IPA category. Um, Depending upon how you feel about the subject matter, it was either fortunate or unfortunate because the top category was Juicy or Hazy India Pale Ale with 365 entries. Uh, and okay, is anybody surprised by that? I mean, I'm a little surprised by that Because I I think, at least in my area I'm seeing less and less of the, the hazies Or I shouldn't say less I'm just like not seeing them as often But then again, maybe uh, Maybe where I hang out in LA is You know, stubborn and grumpy um, No,
0: I, I think that you're right I, I think they're not as ubiquitous as they were But they have by no means gone away And remember... GABF is, you know,
1: kind of like a look back at what happened over the last year or two. Mm -hmm. So that was category 65. Unsurprisingly, category number two was category 66, which was the West Coast style IPA. And where Hazy had 365, West Coast had 301. So not that far behind. And that was.
0: Well, I think that shows the resurgence of the West Coast style IPA that we've been seeing.
1: Yep, I agree. Um, And that one was, I've heard a lot of good things about this brewery, uh, Westbound and Down, uh, out of uh, Idaho Springs, Colorado. Uh, And if nothing else, at least it's a good reference to a fun song.
0: So is there a Colorado Springs, Idaho, then?
1: (laughs) You would think, right? Um, the, uh, The last three categories in the top five, Light Lager, that was actually one that surprised me. I was surprised to see that Light Lager was number three. Uh, and uh, the winner of that one was Nashville Brewing Company, 284 entries. So not even that far behind uh, West Coast IPA. Um, And then the the fourth one that also surprised me is German-style Pilsner was number four with uh, 228. Now, the real question I would have is just how accurate those German-style Pilsners are.
0: Because
1: I'm seeing a lot lot of breweries around me selling German-style Pilsners that are really just sort of vaguely redressed West Coast Pilsners. Right?
0: Yeah, you know, if you see somebody uh, selling a, a German Pilsner dry hopped with mosaic, then you can be pretty certain it's not really that.
1: Yep, I agree. And then the last of the top five was American style IPA with 206 entries, which was won by Fathead out in Ohio. Now, Denny, this begs the question to me then what's the difference between West Coast IPA and American IPA?
0: <laughs> yeah, um, I've been trying to figure this out. And. Uh, As close as I can tell, and this is by no means authoritative, but as close as I can tell, I think American IPA refers to more of the old-style West Coast IPA that might have some crystal in it or something like that. Uh, You know, that might be more towards the citrusy side than the fruity side. But, you know, (laughs) I'm guessing. uh, What do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think I'd be curious because I'd want to try the the winner's. Of some of these, just to see if they give me any indication, because my, my gut feeling would be that, at least in GABF, West Coast IPA has become the sort of that modern Pilsner-based IPA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and American IPA, yeah, is a little bit more – like, you would probably come closer in saying, like, Pacific Northwest IPA. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, if we're going to put a fine line on it. But I would love to see that difference. If anybody has – their thoughts on what the difference between a West Coast IPA and an American-style IPA are, let me know.
0: Yeah, and and, I mean, especially if you have any uh, well-founded information and evidence-based ideas, uh, because otherwise we're all just guessing.
1: Absolutely. All right, time to finish my Jubilale, and let's go talk some brewing.
0: Okay, man, we're going to head over to the brewery, and Drew's going to fill you in on a bunch of stuff. So stick around. We're going to be right back. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association. Get ready! This year's Learn to Homebrew Day is going to be a smash! Join the celebration on Saturday, November 4th by brewing a recommended smash beer. These recipes use a single malt and single hop and are perfect for experienced and beginning homebrewers. For the official Learn to Homebrew Day recipes, brewing tutorials, and a free brewing book, visit homebrewersassociation.org experimental. That's homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental for event and book offer details. Y Yeast's 4th Quarter Legacy Curation features two legendary strains for autumn brewing, 1968 London ESB Ale and 1728 Scottish Ale. These yeast strains were isolated 30 years ago for our culture collection and continue to be brewmaster's top choices for traditional multi-European ales today. Both are regarded for their high flocculation and suitability for strong and seasonal specialty styles like double IPAs, smoked and barrel-aged beers, British bitters, barley wine, and more. Completing this curation are two limited-release lager favorites, 2000 Boudvar Lager and 2001 Pilsner Erkel H-Strain. Available now through the end of December, Budvar Lager delivers rich maltiness and subtle fruit notes while allowing hop character to come through in Czech lagers and German Helles styles. The Pilsner Erkel Strain produces mild floral aromas and a clean dry palate and full mouthfeel for Czech lagers and Bohemian-style Pilsners catch up on our latest blog posts and learn more about this release at yeastlab.com. Things are shiny and bubbly And Drew's getting ready to brew
1: Yeah, so I promised you all that I was going to tie Jubilee back into Something I was talking about brewing And, you know, sitting here I could thinking Okay, hey, you know, what am I going to make? You know, I could sit there and I could make, you know Another IPA, I could do this or the other But I really kind of wanted to tackle something new And so, something sort of in-season And I stumbled across an article from uh, Our good friend Jeff Allworth of Birvana, and you'll remember He's done a lot of work about going and visiting Breweries around the world uh, for that great book they did uh, the, what was it Brewmaster Secrets um and he put up a post about Uh Uh Uflekou, uh over there in uh, the Czech Republic and talking about their dark lager and it got me thinking like I would really love to do something that is a winter warmer so something kind of in that vein of a little maltier a little bit sweeter but also with a little bit of you know little more booze to it, and, you know, wouldn't it be fun to base it around like a Czech dark lager? And so what he writes in, in the blog post is that the Ufleku uh, dark lager is basically 50% Pilsner malt, 30% uh, Munich, 15% caramel, and 5% roasted malts. And that when looking and talking to longtime brewers, apparently every brewer who's brewed there, they have the ability to put their own inflection on the beers, right? There's no, like, set recipe. At this little brew pub, which is also one of the oldest breweries in the world. Right. Um, and so when they talked to one of the, the last brewmasters there who had been there for a long time uh, like 44 years he said very specifically that they were using uh, Kara Munich and the Roasted Carafa uh, 2, which would both be things that I would actually absolutely use for this. Um, and then they do decoction mashing, which <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like yeah. I should just because, well, that's kind of what I'm going for, but at the same time, <sighs> anyway. Yeah. Um, so they use decoction mashing, uh, like a double decoction and then everything's zots in the back end. Right. So, uh, they, uh, Uflekou, they use a, uh, a cool ship. I'm not going to use a cool ship. And, but I also thought what was interesting. was a 13 day primary fermentation and then four to five weeks spent lagering. Um, the beer is also 1053 gravity and finishes around 1016. So what I was thinking was, let's take that basic concept, that basic core structure, and sort of bump it up in gravity, right? Bring it up into more, like, you know, something that would be going to give me more like a 6 to six five type alcohol level, mm-hmm. um, and then go from there. And now the trick to me, I'd also probably want to use some different, uh, a little bit different hopping, like use some of these new Styrian hops, right, from Sylvania. Uh, but the real trick to me is how to figure out how to get that slightly sweeter finish without being cloying. You know, you were talking earlier about how this year's Ale feels a little bit, a little bit thinner to you, uh, which makes it more drinkable. And so like, there's this real delicate balance there, right? I want to, I want to get a little bit of that extra sweetness that the new flicker, like the Czech dark larder has, but not make it so that I feel like I'm drinking barley syrup. How about a little bit of sugar in there? Well, but the, then the sugar is going to mostly undercut the body, is right? So. Well, I thought that's what we wanted to do is
0: reduce the body a bit. I mean, you know, you've got, you've got Munich, you've got caramel malt in there as uh, 45% of the, the grist, come, you know, together. Uh, you're going to want to raise the alcohol a bit anyway. Why not throw in, say, like maybe a, a quarter pound of sugar or something to get part of that gravity increase and keep the body under control to make it uh, digestible?
1: There you go. Take a take a trip from the the Belgians. Yeah, right. So I think that uh, I'm going to work this up because this this is now kind of living in my head, uh, mm-hmm. and at the very least, I need to get it out into a recipe format so I can take a look at it and go, yeah, this seems like a really good idea.
0: <laughs> I, I got a question about it though. Mm-hmm. What Munich? I mean, you know, are you gonna go for like a six, a ten, a
1: twenty, a thirty, a forty? Well, I think that's what it, that's what I need to double check on, right? I need to look and see what the like what sort of numbers I get out of using Kier Munich, right? Yeah. Um, because my inclination would be to like do like a Munich ten.
0: that's, exact, um, that's what I was thinking too.
1: Yeah. So if, if my my gut reaction is to say Munich ten, and then work from there, but. Like I said, I'll I'll plug this in and I'll start playing around and I'll look to see if, yeah, and see.
0: Yeah, and which which care, Munich one, two or three? Mm-hmm. You know, I
1: suspect I so, suspect a one.
0: Yeah, probably no more than a two, but yeah, I think that you're right. You're gonna have to like plug it into a calculator and start playing with it. And see where things come out, but uh, once again, especially if you're increasing, I mean, you know, the the uh, finishing gravity on the 1053 version is 1016. Yep. So if you're going to bump up the uh, the ABV, I really do feel like uh, just a little bit of sugar would be real helpful in there.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good point, and and then I can even play around and use something fun as the sugar. You know. Yeah. Not even not just you know use like white table sugar. You know, even like a a nice molassesy brown uh, brown sugar See, I I would not
0: go there, man, because then you're kind of like.
1: Well, then you're taking swinging it very uh, taking
0: out. Take I mean, like there you there you're adding stuff back in that you're trying to get rid of originally, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: I, don't know I mean, like uh, the, like in the past when I've used uh like Billington's uh, dark molasses brown, didn't get uh, it didn't get a lot of like sugary feeling in the back end. I got I got some additional additional mouthfeel characteristics to it, but I didn't get anything that made it feel cloying. Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, whatever. I I think that I would just keep it simple and uh, go with just a white sugar to uh, to bring down the body and and get all the flavor from everything else.
1: You realize keeping it simple in terms of recipe is more my bag than yours.
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs> I know you, don't, you you don't do that. You're the brew wacky guy. <laughs>
1: So then, uh, obviously, I'll have to think about the yeast. It'll probably be like a boudoir type uh, type of yeast. And I do think I want to play around with doing this as a lager. Oh, yeah. Because I don't think I've ever made a – I mean, the most winterish lager that I've always made is the Falcon's Claws. But that comes in at like 14 plus percent. Right. Uh,
0: Yeah. Well, man, this might be a good chance for you to try out the Nova lager. There you go. Good idea. I'd like to. I'd like to get your thoughts on it. I was pretty happy
1: with it. There you go. Now, so speaking of things that you're pretty happy with, <laughs> you haven't brewed it yet. But, no, but, still haven't brewed it. But I, but I want to talk this hop bill because this this about making plots.
0: Right. Yeah. You remember last time I said I was gearing up to brew a batch of Denny Kong, and that still has not happened. If we weren't recording this for you people today, I would be out there in my brewery. But first things first, so, uh, yeah, Denny Kong hopefully will be coming up in a few days. i got to bake some bread first, and then uh, then it will be Denny Kong time. Uh, ordered all the hops for it, and they weren't cheap. Uh, for an 11-gallon batch, the hops came to around $100. bucks. All
1: right, so let's break down why that is, because holy poop. It,
0: it's pretty obvious, if you look at the dry hop bill especially, uh, and remember that I'm doubling everything here, or actually a little bit more than doubling it to make 11 gallons. Uh, there's a, a lot of cryo in this recipe. Uh, Whirlpool alone is uh, three and a half ounces of Cascade cryo. Then there's a dry hop of three and a half ounces of Cascade cryo. And then there's another dry hop and three and a half ounces each of Mosaic Mosaic Cryo, Citra, Citra Cryo, Simcoe, and Simcoe Cryo. So you have what? There's one, two, three, four, five, six hops, three and a half ounces of each.
1: (laughs) And and of course, you said that you went and you bought these from your local homebrew shop to.
0: Yeah, instead
1: of trying to shop out the best deal.
0: Yeah, I mean, I did order some directly from Yakima Chief because my homebrew shop didn't have all that I needed, and. Surprisingly or not, they were less expensive uh, from Yakima Chief than they were from the homebrew shop. But, you know, man, the guy who runs the homebrew shop is a good friend. Uh, he's got an employee to pay. He's got overhead to pay. I want to keep him in business so he'll be there when I need him. So if it means that I have to pay more for my hops in order to make sure he's there, that's just the way it is.
1: That's the way it goes. Yeah, yeah you know, next year done. I okay, fine. But you
0: know, I, I'm in the fortunate position of I don't need to make beer as cheaply as I can. So, um, I uh, on the other hand, I don't want to pay more than I have to. But this came down to being what I had to. So there you go.
1: Yeah, and by the way, if, if people need to remember that there's a lot of cryo, and then there's that trial 702 that that. We managed to snag a sample of. So. <laughs> yeah, right,
0: right. And being a double batch, I'm going to use that whole vial that I've got, and I swear I'll get yours sent down to you pretty soon.
1: Yeah, well, because I uh, still want to do, I want to do a Denny Kong too, or I want to do a, mm-hmm. a Denny Kong Redux batch, and then I want to do the Denny Kong 2, the Revenge of Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, you know, and and then I am diverging from the recipe in a couple ways. Uh, Number one, I'm not going to use any ALDC because I'm just not concerned about it. Um, And number two, I'll be using a different yeast. I'll be using my good old BRY-97 uh, partially because 1217 isn't available at the moment, I wish it was, and I, but mainly because my brewing schedule is so fluid that uh, I just don't know when I'm going to brew, so I can't calculate when to make a starter.
1: All right, and just to remind people, uh, ALDC is an enzyme that's being used a lot in commercial breweries to mitigate concerns about hop creep and the formation of diastol late in the process of brewing. Uh, and then two, I swear to God, every time you say was it was a Bry ninety seven. Yep. Yeah. Every time you say that, I can't help but think that like Br four five nine.
0: I know, man. I, if you guys are anywhere near as old as we are, you may remember a show called Hee Haw, and uh, there there was a skit on there that we're, was always urging you to call Br five four nine.
1: Well, also, if you're not nearly as old as Denny, but also as old as May, not only will you remember uh, Hee Haw. But you also remember that there was a really great sort of new Western Swing Band that also went by that moniker.
0: Oh, yeah, there was. Wasn't that I remember that? They were great. Yeah, they were, they
1: were fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there you go. Uh, a little bit of Denny Kong hop bill shock? Sticker shock? <laughs> hop shock?
0: Yeah. When I, when I lay out all the hops for this, I'll, uh, I'll take a picture of them. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Got to love it. Now, by the way, if this isn't also a lesson as to why uh, craft beer isn't as cheap as you'd like for it to be, uh, you can blame the hops sometimes. Good Lord.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, you know, not all beers need insane amount of hops, but this one does, and it was so good. It's worth it to me to try and get as close as I can to the original in my homage.
1: You know, I'm still getting messages from people saying, dude, I was in San Diego when that beer was out. It was fantastic, so uh, it made an impression on people.
0: Yeah, well, you know what? And not only that, I was cruising around the forums this morning, and I was uh, – I think I was on Brews Brothers. Maybe, maybe it was the brew house. Yeah, that's what it was. I was over in uh, the, the beer garden at the brew house, and there was somebody there who had actually tried to brew it. <laughs> he beat me to it, uh, <laughs> and he was just really, really happy with how it came out.
1: Yeah. Now, by the way, I will – Once again, remind everybody that part of uh, that beer came out fantastic. That beer came out fantastic, probably about ten percent due to Denny and I, and the other ninety percent due to the incredible skill and talent of Kelsey and his brewers over there at North Park.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's there's no doubt about that. You know, it's called a collaboration, but uh, Drew and I didn't do much except sit back and think about it.
1: Exactly. All right, so that's what's brewing. Uh, As always, if you have brewing questions or ideas or you have a topic that you want us to explore, please email us at at experimentalbrew.com or you can message us on Facebook or Instagram or any of those other fun platforms, and we will wrap those topics into here. So now I think it's time for us to get going. It is. But first, I just want to remind
0: everybody to send in your brewing questions. We need your questions. If you're having a problem, let us take a stab at it. Uh, Shoot us an email at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. Tell us what's going on, and uh, we'll sit down and talk about it, maybe even get you on the phone and talk about it with you.
1: There you go. And, uh, yeah, let's go have some questions. Let's go have some fun. But also, let's get back to the beer. Yeah,
0: let's do. And let's move on and get out of
1: here. We'll be right back after these
0: messages. The next generation of countertop home distillation systems is here. The all-new Air Still Pro from Still Spirits is a revolutionary still that will look right at home alongside your everyday kitchen appliances. This small-batch two-in-one distillation system operates in either pot still or reflex mode and allows you to craft high-quality light and dark spirits at home. No hoses, no complicated assembly. Just plug and play. The Air Still Pro column cools itself with a built-in high-powered fan. The Still Spirits Air Still Pro is available now at your favorite homebrew retailer. Learn more about the AirStill Pro at stillspirits.com or check them out on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. Welcome back. Before we get out of here, Drew's got a couple things to tell you about.
1: I do. And the quick tip for this week is think laterally. Okay, what do I mean by that? Well, perfect example. Yeah, what do you mean by that? perfect example of what I mean by that is what we were just talking about in the last segment about the winter warmer, right? Taking a look at the inspiration of Ufleku and their dark lager and trying to think about, okay, what can I do with that idea, that concept, but that's just a little different. And kind of step, step over to the side. And that's the reason why thinking laterally was what gave me the idea to take the inspiration of ufleku and turn it into a winter warmer. So, you
0: know, that's, that's really a good idea, man. That's a, a great tip. Uh, and remember. The idea is to, to think laterally, to be inspired by something, not to take another recipe and decide you're going to add four pounds of bananas to it.
1: Yeah, and in a lot of ways, this relates back to, you know, what we've talked about is, you know, homage is not clones. Uh, right. But also a lot of what happens in beer writing, and what I think a lot of people do recipe-wise, is, you know, start with a recipe that you know and then move from there. Uh In this particular case, this was just more of an inspiration version of thinking laterally. Uh But I highly encourage you to sit down. And, yeah, to Danny's point, laterally does not necessarily mean the addition of fruit or marshmallows. <laughs> or anything
0: else. You know, yeah. Yeah. You don't just take a recipe that's out there and add something to it. You use it as an inspiration to kind of, like, go sideways.
1: Yeah, exactly. And now, of course, it's time for something other than beer, because life cannot just be lived on beer alone, no matter what the people who do it for Lent tell you. So my recommendation for this week uh, for something other than beer comes from Max, AKA HBO Max, AKA HBO, AKA stupid rebranding. And the documentary is a film called BS high. Now, Denny, you obviously are not a sports person, so this is well outside your ballpark. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but a couple of years back, there was a, a disastrous thing that happened on football fields. Uh, so ESPN early season for football, they, they show high school football games and they show like the top ranking high school, uh, academies and all that sort of stuff playing football. And so in particular, there's a high school academy, uh, called IMG, uh, football academy. Like literally it's a high school dedicated to doing nothing but building up players for college football and potentially the pros almost kind of like the European uh, football schools. Uh, but IMG is owned by sports agents. It's really nasty really weird, but IMG contracted with a school called Bishop Sycamore High out of Ohio uh, to play this game. The game was so bad and so disastrous that the ESPN announcers were calling out what the hell was happening on the field. Like, this shouldn't be happening. This is a massacre. These kids are way overmatched, yada, yada, yada. And you know when the ESPN announcers are saying something like that, Things have gone terribly wrong because their whole job is to sit there and hype up the competition, right? Uh, and it turns out this documentary goes into the whole thing about this school, B- Bishop Sycamore, was basically a scam. It was being run by this guy named Roy Johnson, offering these offering kids like these pipe dreams of, oh, look, come play for me. We got all this stuff going on. We're, we're going to get you education. We're going to get you back on track for going to college. We're going to get you scholarships to D1 schools. You know, maybe get, get you a chance to go into the pros. And everything about what he was doing was a complete scam. He was ripping off hotels. The kids had to go into local grocery stores and steal food in order to be able to eat. Their education was literally limited to going to a library one day during the football season. Uh, and this whole thing was just a giant hustle. And the reason why I'm recommending people watch it is not just because the story is sort of absolutely horrifying and tells a lot about uh, uh the problem with high school sports in America, but it also... The ending convinces you that you have met somebody who is utterly, banally evil. And very proud of himself for it. So, it's I think it's uh, like 90 minutes long. I mean, it's not a huge investment of time. But go look for BS High on Max and go and watch this. And tell me if you don't agree that Roy Johnson may just be the devil. (laughs)
0: Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'll let you watch it and tell me. How's that?
1: I'm telling you, he is.
0: (laughs) Okay. Sounds good to me. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Experimental Brewing. You can catch all of our latest adventures and writings by going to our website, experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget that you can follow us on X, where we're at expbrewing, We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Drew hangs out on the homebrewing subreddit and the Slack Homebrewing channel. You can find me hanging around the AHA discussion forum. I'm on Facebook a lot. I cruise by the brew house uh, in the beer garden every once in a while. So check them all out. See if you can find us there.
1: Denny's a rambler. <laughs> I'm a rambler. Uh, that's a, a, a car, right? <laughs> the good old Nash Rambler, yes, and also a yes, song. Right. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. If you want to ask us a question, suggest topics, recipes, experiments, or even just rant and rave, you can email us at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. And don't forget, we need your questions. So if you have a brewing question, send it in. We'll give you an answer or at least an opinion. And if you want to get a hold of each one of us individually, I'm Denny at experimentalbrew.com and he's Drew at experimentalbrew.com. And of course we have a phone number where you can send us a text, leave us a voicemail, 626-765-1-ALE, 626-765-1253. So until next time, remember to always brew experimentally
1: or brew wacky. And we'll see you on the next episode of Experimental Brewing.